One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If we don't call it early and he wins anyway, which is perfectly possible, but without us tonight, think about that. With FBA and Vera News backing him, we're left the most dickless eunuchs in Cucktown. We call it. We call this. Mm-hmm. If we push it, yeah, maybe it happens. Yeah, we give it to Mankin. Mankin blocks a deal. He's not fucking wishy-washy. He's a guy. I don't know, dude. I mean, my kids. Well, the whole thing. Ooh, America. Mm. Well, I mean, it is kind of a nice idea, you know, all the different people together. What? It is kind of a nice idea. <laughs> all, all the, the different, different people. People together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I'm Kim Renfro. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing Season 4, Episode 8 of Succession, America Decides. We're going to be spoiling everything through this week's episode, but we will not spoil anything from future weeks. That includes anything from the next time on Preview. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at decodingtv. We're posting new clips there regularly. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to everyone who's supporting this podcast at decodingtv.com. Sign up at decodingtv.com for exclusive bonus episodes that I'm recording with David Cho, where we're discussing how realistic succession really is. Uh, and so we discussed some of the finer points of last week's episode on this most recent bonus episode. It's a lot of fun. Um, but really, if you're a paid member at decodingtv.com, you're helping to keep this podcast alive. And we really appreciate it. Kim, a lot to dive into in this week's episode, Season 4, Episode 8, America Decides. Before we get to that, of course, we always love to start with some follow-ups from last week. So, uh, Jeffrey writes into decodingtv.com at the website. Jeffrey writes, great show as always. However, after listening and hearing that Kim has not seen The Sopranos... It's clear that the next series on Decoding TV needs to be a Sopranos rewatch a la Cast of Kings, where Kim plays the Dave Chen role of being new to the series and Dave is the expert, end quote. I think this is a great idea. I don't know that we will do the Sopranos exactly. I would love to continue working with Kim, but I wanted to read this message because uh, I'm going to be honest, folks. Uh, There is it, it is not clear. What Decoding TV should cover as a weekly recap after Succession is over. Um, Starting with Westworld last summer, there was a complete line of shows leading directly to this moment that we are in right now. uh, That is just nonstop awesome prestige television that is worthy of week by week recaps. Um, That includes House of the Dragon and Last of Us and Andor and so on. And after Succession is over... I don't know what shows are worthy of weekly recap. Like there's, there's some shows coming out. I'm aware of what shows are coming out. You got Marvel secret invasion coming out. You got uh, the idol, the new HBO max series. Um, But I don't know that either of those are going to be worthy of week by week recap. So I guess here's my question, you know, is uh, if you have a suggestion 
for what we should be covering week by week, do email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Um, I'm also probably going to be putting out a poll at decodingtv.com that you'll be able to participate in whether you are a free or paid subscriber. So, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Kim, is there anything on your radar when it comes to, like, what's coming next in the world of TV? I mean, I'm, like, in thinking 24 hours ahead in the world in general <laughs> mode right uh-huh. now. Yeah. But one that I have had my eye on for summer 2023 for a while has been The Retreat on FX. Mm. Okay, um, yeah. That is the first show that uh, the OA co-creators, Britt Marling oh, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Zal Glitch, Um It's the first show that they're doing, that they've done since Netflix canceled the OA very unceremoniously after season two. And like season two, like, oh, it was just about to get really good, I think. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. it, I really still mourn the loss of that. And so I'm excited to just see whatever they do. So that's the one that's still sticking in my mind for this year. I would also say it's highly likely that Decoding TV is going to be covering Black Mirror, the new uh, episodes of Black Mirror. Uh, No release date for those, but they are supposed to come out in June. So uh, that is something you can look forward to. And that is 18 days away. (laughs) Yeah, shocking. June? June? When did it become June, David Chen? Well, it's still May. It's fine. But uh, if you have a suggestion, decodingtv at gmail.com or... uh, we will be, I'll probably be doing a poll at decodingtv.com. You can sign up for free uh, for our email list there as well. Uh, but would love to hear what people think we should be covering next. I wanted to give a shout out to this comment from Nate C, who's been a great commenter this season at decodingtv.com. Nate writes about last week's episode, season four, episode seven, Evil Greg Ascendant. <laughs> what an episode for Matthew McFadden. Felt like a swan song for both Tom's career and Tom and Shiv's relationship. I loved watching every character's schemes go off the rails this episode. Roman is again uh, in competent businessman mode but cannot undo the mistakes made amidst his temper tantrums. Shiv finds herself in too deep with Mets, and just as he is revealed to be a musky and huckster of the highest order, Kendall fails to embody his father's political prowess in any meaningful way while simultaneously speaking the words to Rava that he and his siblings always mocked from Logan. Everything I'm doing is for my family. The only winners in this episode for me are Connor and Willa, who stand up to the Roys and maybe prevent prevent a Nazi-adjacent presidential victory, and of course, Greg. Even as those around him fail and flounder, uh, Greg continues to rise in the ranks while sinking deeper and deeper into the depths of C.E. Bro depravity. <laughs> he even successfully ingratiates himself with Matson here. Would be crazy to see a reversal in the Tom Power, I'm sorry, Tom Greg Power dynamic in the final episodes. End quote. Um, great comment, great summary as usual. You know, there is one thing I, I don't know if we touched on it in last week's episode, uh, but Elon, the, the Musk comparison uh, with Matson, I think got even stronger. Uh, Ebba gives this whole speech about how. Uh, like Matson's oh, not right. really that smart and he doesn't really have that much technical knowledge. He just like inherited a bunch of stuff and the press puffed him up really a lot. Um, it is very similar to the, uh, the way in which the press has now after, after pumping him up for years, the press has now realized, Hey, maybe we shouldn't have done that with Elon Musk. Um, and has now realized maybe uh, the, the the level of his skills were not quite as we had thought or been told um, right. for many years. Like people, people, I think for a long time weren't really interrogating whether or not his successful quote unquote businesses were the result of his ingenuity his and idea, right? Like yeah, his you know. own professed ingenuity versus yes, someone having the blueprint for a product and him being an effective marketer of that for a period of time. And it seems like that period of time has 
mostly ended for Elon Musk. <laughs> and it seems like Matson is on the verge of a muskification of his uh, reputation in the industry. Yeah. I, I mean, I think effective marketer might even be overstating it a little bit. Yeah, you know? you're right. I, I, you know, guy who says the most thing, uh, <laughs> the, the highest numbers, you know, like that, that would be a th- like, Hey, uh, all these cars will be able to drive on the roads. You know, that's a thing that's going to happen in, within 10 years or whatever, you know, like just, just saying random stuff. That's not ever going to actually come true within uh, a reasonable time frame. Uh, that he's very good at, you know, he's, and he's very good at building his own myth. I will agree yes. to that as well. You know, so yes. like marketing uh, but, his own mythology, yeah, yes. I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Not an That's actual how. product. Yes, precisely. Um, although, you know, Tesla has had some successes, so I'm not going to deny that, but yeah, anyway. Uh, Don't I know uh, it? But the, Those the things Elon, are everywhere. <laughs> the Elon uh, myth, like self myth making uh, was kind of referred to, I think, in last week's episode. I don't know if we if we mentioned it. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to uh, read is this email um, that somebody wrote in about the final scene in last week's episode uh, with uh, Shiv and Tom. Catherine from Sonoma County hey. writes in, uh, I agreed 100% with Kim uh, on last week's episode, I tensely worried about whether Tom or Shiv were going over the railing in the ending blowout scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, I predict they will revisit the Kendall manslaughter thread, especially because Daddy Roy is no longer able to protect his son, and Kendall will not have Logan to save him from the repercussions of his cowardice, end quote. Mm. So there, that's a prediction from Catherine that the uh, manslaughter thread is going to come back. We are eight episodes into a 10-episode season that has not come back yet. We will see if it does. Um, but yes, for some reason at random points in the season, Kim and I think someone might die, <laughs> but you know, like someone might get killed as opposed right. to die or and, kill themselves. Right. And that just, that has not happened really, you know, in the show. So <laughs> I think the show is running out of time to do, to pull a move like that, but we'll see. Right. But I think that the, thank you, Catherine, for validating my uh my spooks at <laughs> the balcony feeling very vulnerable and there in the background for that entire scene but i like i mean hey they emotionally certainly went off a rail like i think wow that that... <laughs> wow kim wow i just i think that the doom feeling is like meant to be there wow. whether or okay. not it's literal I don't know if we can pod guess again after this episode. Um, no, too I'm many, just joking. One too many puns. That was like the only. I, I, you have a one they, pun rule. They certainly no. It's not the pun. It's like they went over the rails metaphorically, and it's like yes, yes, Kim. Everything is metaphorical. I'm not defending that as like I was right. Someone definitely died. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that the the way that that conversation was going was absolutely meant to inflict dread, I think, mm-hmm. upon the person watching because it was just so awful. So. Well, thank you for all the comments at decodingtv.com and decodingtv at gmail.com. I wanted to also acknowledge, we got and I talked about this a little bit on the bonus episode this week, but we got a lot of emails at decodingtv.gmail.com and like a lot of feedback, basically people predicting that what is going to happen in this episode, uh, election night, is that Jared Menken would lose and then dispute the results of the election. And that would be, uh, it would be up to the siblings to decide whether they're going to back Jared Menken or not. Like a lot of people wrote in that they thought that was what was going to happen. I actually believed that that was a huge possibility because uh, uh, many of you were convincing about that. 
and of course, that's not exactly what happened this episode uh, of Succession. It was, you know, I think I thought and, and I actually predicted on the, the bonus episode that it was either going to be that or kind of just Mencken wins in a surprise upset a la 2016. Right? right. But actually, neither of those happened. It was kind of a combination of 2016, 2020, and I want to say 2000 as well, the Bush-Gore election. Like, I, It was kind of a combination of all these things, right? Because yeah. in this episode, with just two more episodes left in the series, Succession brings the political background plot to the forefront as the Roy family's scheming leads to Republican candidate Jared Menken prematurely announced by ATN as the winner of the presidential race. Kim Renfro, let's talk about overall thoughts on this episode. What do you think of season four, episode eight of Succession? I liked it. I got to say, I might have overhyped it for myself because I think like there was that quote sort of floating around by Jesse Armstrong that was like, oh, by far the most shocking episode of season four is like episode eight. And I... I had heard that as well. And I was like, above episode three? What? Right? Like, Right. Like, I think I was expecting to feel more surprised by the turn of events. And instead, it just felt like more reality bleeding of like, oh, I I know what's unfolding because this feels very familiar to me. And like that sort of like sinking into just dread. Um, But at the same time, especially on a rewatch, I thought it was really interesting to see Jesse Armstrong and the writers and like the actors kind of leaning into this idea of like sometimes world changing events can come down to a few people's decision to do the hard but right thing or the easy but wrong thing. Easy and self beneficial, you know, but wrong thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. uh, Overall, I thought this was a great episode. I have some some issues as usual, but overall, this is a very, very good episode. And I think, you know, the reason for those comments that Jesse Armstrong made about this being kind of the most intense episode is because this episode, I would I would guess, is the emotional climax mm-hmm. or the emotional culmination for the Roy siblings. Like th- yeah. this is this is I think yes, more stuff's going to happen. You know, the, there's going to be I think it's called denouement or epilogue, whatever you want to call it after this. Mm-hmm. But I, I I believe this is probably like the the end of the main storyline for the Roy siblings. That's my guess. Um, yeah, like point of no return. Yeah, everything comes to a head, and it just feels like this is there's nothing. The betrayals that occurred this episode are permanent. You know, mm-hmm. remember Kim? It was just a few episodes ago that they were saying they're never going to betray each other, and now they were all uh, hugging. Yeah, <laughs> it was so nice. Yeah. For yeah. an episode. <sighs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of how well the episode is executed, there's many, many things I really loved about it. I mean, Succession seems to want to re-traumatize you, you know, like... Oh, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's, Thanks, it's very, It's very, you know, I, I, we when I hosted this podcast with Tara Ariano, she was talking about how, like, you know, media the media layoff episode was, like, very uh, triggering for many people and, like... Here is an episode where if you were watching election night and you were not uh, supporting Trump, uh, watching this episode may be pretty traumatizing, maybe pretty upsetting for you, you know, to, to relive that evening. Yeah. Um, and even if you weren't watching it live that evening, if you have read into all of the behind the scenes things that have happened at 
news stations like Fox over the years with like election night coverage um, or the resulting coverage, like just very, again, incredibly on the nose in a way that like makes me feel vaguely sick (laughs) as I'm watching some scenes. I think the biggest downside of this episode is, and, and I'm saying this now, Kim, I think the show has done a bad job of depicting Jared Menken as character. Like, I, I, I now mm. believe that that is the case. Like, mm. I was willing to kind of be open-minded and think, oh, hey, like, yeah, like, let's see where this goes. And, you know, we haven't seen Jared at all this season, I think, until this point. Um, and so it's like, maybe we're going to learn more about him this season. But uh, the here's my complaint. The, the show, for a show that is extremely on the nose in mm-hmm. many of its comparisons, the Jared Menken comparison is way too subtle. Like, Jared Menken gives a speech at the end of this episode, and I think we're supposed to watch it and be chilled by it. But I felt nothing. I was like, this is, whatever he's going for, I don't, whatever he, Jesse Armstrong, is going for, it's not punching through. In my in my opinion, when it comes to Jared Mankin. We'll, yeah. we'll talk more about it a little bit, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the Jared Mankin depiction. I agree that I feel like he should have been more present in the lead up to this episode in order for maybe that to land a little bit more. In general, he just really seems to be there as a vehicle for Roman. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. of all of the vehicles that all the siblings have, like when we see Kendall interact with Rava or Shiv and Tom is obviously like a huge one, but even like Shiv and Nate feels like a more real relationship and dynamic to me. Whereas, yeah, I agree that Mencken, Mencken has not successfully become that much of a, like an in-depth partnership to Roman. He does seem pretty flatly just like, oh, this is a really bad guy. And we all know that he's a bad guy right. and that that's, we should feel basically- scared about him becoming this candidate. It's a lot of telling and not showing when it comes to Jared Mankin. And mm. here's the thing, Kim Renfro. I know not everyone who listens, uh, probably uh, uh, some handful of you listening won't agree with this, but we live in a world with real, like in real life, in the universe Kim Renfro and I inhabit, there are cartoonishly evil people who want to uh, assume power in this country. Like mm-hmm. that is just a fact. Yeah. And I think. Jesse Armstrong is like, well, I can't compete with that. I'm I'm just guessing. He's thinking to himself, I can't compete with that. Anything I do to try to make this character cartoonish will simply be a pale imitation of what actually exists in real life. Mm. I, David Chen, think that he went too far in the other direction and that Jared Menken is way too subtle for our times because... Just, just look, you know, turn on, right. open the politics section of any newspaper and read up on what our elected figures are doing. Um, and saying. It, it seems way worse. Like, yeah. these people seem way worse than what Jared Mencken is in this universe. So it's hard to, like, be scared of the future for, of the public mm. when we're seeing Jared Mencken give this most anodyne speech that has some hints of, you know, white nationalism or what have you. You know, it's just like, it, it's so much worse in real life. Uh, that I think that it's it's too subtle in the show. Yeah, so. I found I found the uh, the the drop and the framing of the Mark Ravenhead speech before the Mankin announcement to be a much more way better, like way, chilling it, it, example yes. of the kind of vitriol and rhetoric that is very common from these talking heads. That like like you, I felt right alongside with Shiv Roy 
in her fight against like what was happening at ATN in a way, not in that I think that she handled sure. it the correct way, but yes. in that I understood emotionally what she was trying to articulate and getting stonewalled by people who just fall on every like logical fallacy or twisting of your words in order to make you seem like you're the crazy and like unhinged one type of thing. And I thought that that was way more effectively done for Ravenhead than Mankin at any point. Absolutely. I, I think Ravenhead is a great Tucker Carlson analog. Uh, the way that character is introduced, the glimpses of that character we've seen, it just feels like really, really well done. Uh, and so I am a little bit surprised that they fell, in my opinion, really flat on their face with the Mencken storyline. But hey, um, let me know what you think uh, in at decodingtv at gmail.com. And I agree with Kim that he is most effective as kind of a plot mechanic for Roman to ally with. So mm-hmm. um, uh, and to that degree, I think, you know, that did work. But beyond that, I think it could have used um, less subtlety which is not something i typically ask for from tv shows and certainly not succession but in this case i think it would have helped Mm. before we move on i want to mention that this episode of decoding tv is brought to you by the mcdonald's app so kim renfro my newest life hack is the mcdonald's app i order in the app i pick my favorite location i select curbside or counter then i head to mcdonald's and i can grab my food faster they prep it like i'm on the way it's like the vip experience you never knew you needed in this episode of succession we saw characters eating bodega sushi guys that is not a thing that i think is worth trying instead of a delicious mcdonald's meal that you can get prepared for you while you're on the way if you've got somewhere to be, you don't have time to wait in line, order ahead in the McDonald's app. Pick your location, select curbside or counter. McDonald's will get it all ready while you're on your way so it's hot and fresh. And you can pick up your food faster at the curbside or counter when you get there. So, uh, Kim, you know, here's a question. Last time uh, you had to get a meal, why, why is it that you would have needed to skip the line? You know, what is it that you're on your way to do? Uh, I, I will tell you that the amount of television I need to watch is... <laughs> pretty high when it comes to decoding tv.com these days and so uh i'm always just needing to catch the latest episode of mrs davis or dead ringers or succession uh and using the mcdonald's app saves me a lot of time but what's uh what's keeping you busy these days kim renfro i'm now up to uh three cats that i have to pet all day <laughs> wow <laughs> I have, that sounds I have, exhausting i have places to be and things to do Indeed. And I would much rather be at home with my cats and eating French fries than standing in a line or Absolutely. waiting in a drive-thru. Well, you can order ahead in the McDonald's app to save time. Uh, and I would highly recommend it. It's great. Uh, so check it out. Again, the McDonald's app. Order ahead. Select curbside or counter and head to McDonald's to grab your food faster. Prep while you're on the way excludes drive-thru at participating McDonald's. Copyright 2023 McDonald's. Thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring this episode of Decoding TV. All right, Kim, let's talk about the episode, season four, episode eight, America Decides. The episode starts with Tom in the ATN floors of the Waystar Royco office building. Voting polls are about to begin closing on the East Coast, which means ATN's live coverage of the presidential election results is officially starting. Within a matter of hours, Tom, Greg, Roman Kendall have grouped together to pressure the ATN staff into declaring Republican fascist candidate Jared Menken as the next president of the United States. Despite losing the popular vote slash violent ultra-right extremist bomb, uh, bombing of a poll-counting center in Key State, Wisconsin. Uh, alliances start either falling apart or strengthening left and right as the hours press on. We're going to talk about 
some of these alliances. Now, before we get to the specifics, I want to say that what I really loved about the episode was one of many things I loved about the episode was uh, how it is a great depiction of in an or, or uh, organization or corporation mm. shit flow flows downhill. Like so-and-so's barking on the phone. Like Kendall and Shiv are barking on the phone to Tom. Tom is pressuring Greg. Greg's pressuring the people in the room. You know, yeah. it's it, every single uh, demand is like cascading with potentially more and more urgency and it's just oftentimes in an urgent situation, it's a very unpleasant uh, atmosphere yeah. to be in. Uh, and I have, I'm not going to say I have been on either end of that, but I will say I recognize that dynamic. The chain. Uh, <laughs> that I, chain. And, and I recognize that partnered with something that I think is specific to this modern age of digital news media and like, uh, more traditional media is like the idea that you, every one of those decisions that you're making on the fly in this case, we're seeing that those decisions are being made primarily with the priority of, we need as many people watching this as possible. Not, yeah, we need this to be as accurate as possible. Not, we need this to be as uh, full coverage of what's actually happening as possible, but simply like, what do we put on TV right now? What Chiron do we throw on that will keep like attract and keep the most viewers. And that's why like the the very realistic scenario of like the touchscreen malfunctioning and that being the thing that like starts tipping over Tom's Coke brain into like aggro territory is like the idea that in, in a live network coverage situation like that of an election, every single station is doing some sort of map touchscreen. The votes are rolling in. We're calculating the percentages. And it's like, if you're the network who has the glitchy machine, people are going to like leave and stop watching you. And I just, the the way that all of those very realistic situations, yeah, just pile on top of each other. And like you said, the shit flows downstream. Like, God, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, and also I think you see a lot of, uh, I don't know if this word is applied correctly or if this phrase is being applied correctly by me, but code switching is it code switching or like basically where Mm. you know if the boss is screaming at you you act very like subservient and supplicating and then you instantly then turn around and then like inflict that on someone else i'm talking like about a character like tom or anyone else below him right like yeah that, that there's there's people who like you're in one mode when somebody's screaming at you and then instantly you change into a different mode. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think code switching is like a little more dynamic than that, but idea is, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. About I, don't like think, the, I don't think code switching is quite right, but basically like it's different yes. modes, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And like the, the professionalism flies in and out of the window <laughs> depending on who's in the room or like who, right. Who they're dropping the guard around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so let's talk about some of these interactions that happen, right? There is a conversation between Tom and Shiv, uh, where she tries to apologize to him. Like you, you, you get the sense uh, that Tom has had a really rough day. He's had people screaming at him all night and he's on Coke for some reason. Uh, and she tries to apologize to him and he just kind of like dissociates, like checks out. <laughs> Yeah, he is not receptive and actually says some extremely hurtful things. Yeah. Uh, Once again, how, it's yeah. like he tries to say, like, I don't want to do this right now, almost. And she pushes the conversation. And then he just, like, 
his defense is, oh, okay, I'm just going to say the worst thing imaginable to you right now in the yeah. hopes that you stop talking. Like she says, like you killed your father and you hated your father. And those are just not nice things to say to anyone in general, let alone your wife. And, and I think he, in his mind, he's still playing this game of chess with her, obviously, at yeah. that moment. And I, I don't think he's playing his game correctly, from, from my estimation. Uh, and during that argument, she reveals that she is pregnant to him. Um, and he does not believe her. Uh, and it's a genuinely shocking moment. I, I honestly was stunned because Tom had spent so much time in previous episodes talking about how important it was for them to have a kid together. And his reaction is a non-reaction. It's, it's like I, he literally doesn't believe her. And then after he believes her, um, he doubts that she's she he wonders whether she's using it tactically in some way mm-hmm. and i think she, even shiv is shocked at the depths to which their relationship has fallen at this point what are your yeah. thoughts on that interaction kim renfro yeah like i felt like she was shocked that he could think that of her yes yes and then i think that they both realized that the fact that he even articulated that as like a knee-jerk reaction is very indicative of the like irreparable broken trust in their relationship right like and i think that this episode's also interestingly full of examples again as you as you spoke to like the emotional climax sort of of this series for all like the roy children they are seeing that when you operate like when you're when your base mode is lying and deceiving and sarcasm when you try to be honest with someone and like you think that you're trying to have some sort of like heartfelt conversation that like eventually they're going to just stop believing anything that you say. And like, I think that that sense of Shiv realizing that even when she's trying to be honest with Tom, she has now manipulated him and emotionally abused him to the point that he just won't believe her even about something as serious as their baby. It's like things are in a tailspin to the point where it can it now cannot be undone. Like it's it's irreparable, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling you get. There's no coming back from this, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, um, Shiv and Matson continue to cement their alliance in this episode. As Shiv loses control with her brothers and the election coverage, she leans into the Matson alliance, advises him to release the bad numbers. He reveals that uh, he's been talking with Greg, which I love. Shiv's reaction to that, he's like, wait, Greg, the guy, the moron Greg? Like, and he's like, hey, Matson's like, hey, what if I don't release the numbers? You know, what do you what do you think about that plan? So uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of what happens. And at the end of the episode, they're still allied and Shiv's kind of doubling down, hoping that Matson will will join her and they can take over the world together. Still not feeling great about that plan, FYI. But yeah. No, Shiv, I don't think. I just I yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Shiv. R.I.P. Shiv wins. I think. <laughs> we've, we've seen the last of the Shiv wins, I think. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Greg and Tom are, are on edge because Greg has once again managed to fail upwards with his white male audacity, but Tom wants him acting like his kicked around assistant again for the night. A lot of funny stuff here between the two of them, uh, just interacting and, and Greg trying to, you know, uh, be more important than or seem more important than he really is. Um, I, I one of my favorite touches is every single time one of the Roy children is down on the floor, Greg is always <laughs> asking them to leave. 
Uh, and it's, that's very like you could totally see that playing out where like somebody who's not supposed to be there is there, and then somebody somebody needs to ask them to leave, but they just don't listen. So, I mean, but, even the fact that compare that to the opening, the episode two, uh, episode two sequence this season with Logan showing up unexpected on the floor, like Greg and Tom didn't dare question why he was there they simply right. tried to accommodate everything that he might need in order to continue prowling around the newsroom but like with the roy kids the wrangling and also that greg is like so much taller than all of them so he's just yeah. like this like hulking man behind, like excuse, I, we really need you to oh excuse me like just the way that greg simultaneously wields no power and a lot of power in strange situations continues to be amusing well uh, you know, for instance, Greg's uh, consumption of wasabi may have influenced the presidential election. I think Literally. It's kind of the results of the presidential election, perhaps. Um, because maybe if that guy wasn't incapacitated, he would have gone on air and given more caveats about the call. Maybe. Right. The, the, pending, the pending Chiron never yeah, happened. Never happened. Because right? Greg needed to mix his wasabi and soy sauce, which you're not even supposed to do. When you're like eating sushi, really? If it's well, I guess I don't know. That's a whole other debate. But like, Greg, <laughs> Greg, amazing scene though. That was like classic Jesse Armstrong. Is the idea that this guy might get wasabi in his eyes and then be unable to go and give some caveats on the air? Um, that that's just like classic succession right. moment. Like very um, unexpected moment of chaos that then has devastating consequences and is really indeed. funny. And Greg pouring lemon LaCroix <laughs> over to his rinse eyes. It, to rinse it out. Amazing. I'm sorry. Any Like even if it wasn't lemon flavored, any sparkling water in a wound is like painful. And then the fact that there was, and then him being like, it's not, it's not that lemony. It's just a hint of lemon. Like I was also like someone in that writer's room hates LaCroix and like wanted it to be known. <laughs> that it's pretty much just normal water with very little flavor. It, it is true that LaCroix is really weak. Don't you think, Kim Renfro, do you have an opinion on LaCroix? Yeah, I don't regularly drink LaCroix because I don't, I just drink water because I'm thirsty. I don't understand LaCroix, the points of LaCroix La, for me. LaCroix is like if someone took a seltzer water, like if you have like strawberry LaCroix, it's like someone took a seltzer water and they thought about strawberry really strongly. <laughs> And then they exhaled on on the top of the surface of the, of the seltzer water. That's that's what a strawberry Lacroix tastes like. A whiff so, of a thought of a fruit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they like uh, they took a you know they, they they took a lemon zest and like one zest from a uh, an eighth of a lemon and just kind of flicked it towards the water for like three seconds. Yeah, that's what a lemon Lacroix is. And basically. yet it was enough lemon to probably add a little sting <laughs> on top of wasabi in the eye. So. Indeed. Indeed. And I also love the moment between Greg and Jess in this episode as like two of the like assistant level Roy adjacent people. I was really happy that they got to sort of have a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it was, it was an odd moment. And I was trying to figure out what that moment is trying to say, because I think that moment is reckoning with these people's roles as part of the organization, right? Like, on the one hand, they wield the illusion of like seemingly a lot of power. Like Greg delivering this news, we're going to call Wisconsin. Theoretically, has the power to swing a presidential election. But then Greg also says, "Well, it doesn't make a difference if I do it or not. Like if I don't do it, they'll just fire me and get someone else to do it." So it's this kind of 
edifice of power where you're like you're you're part of the structure doing important things, but you don't actually wield any actual power. Now, theoretically, maybe they could have done something to like if Jess and Greg plotted together, maybe they could have sabotaged the whole plan. But I don't I don't know that that's what the show is trying to say. Um, that like, hey, that's within their power. I don't know. I don't know if it was trying to say that it's within their power, but that's certainly the feeling I was getting from Jess. Uh, yeah, in that she's, exchange. she's implying like, hey, you can stop this, basically, right? Like, or I was like reading an almost hesitation on her face of like, how how clear should I be about that? That like, now's the time to speak up. Like, now's the time to, for for someone else to push back against this. But I think it was just one more example in the episode of a very tiny moment that could have had a bigger impact, but because basically every person in the chain of command wouldn't push back, it happened. And Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. And it, it also just reminded me of like, I think to your point that it's not actual power. Everyone in this episode seems to want to be the decision maker, wants the power to be the person making a call, but then none of them want the responsibility of any consequence that might come with it. And we see that from Tom, like Tom at the start of the episode is like, Hey, I make the calls. Everything that happens on ATN tonight is happening through me. Like he's trying to be very like assertive, dominant. And then mm-hmm. by the end of the episode, he's going to Kendall and Roman. Your dis- it's, it's your call. Your call. You're, You're the one making the call. And then yeah. he makes Greg go actually yeah. say the words. So he literally doesn't even make the call. He walks in the room right after and goes, oh, Greg, Greg told you we're, we're doing it. But then you see that his name gets splashed up on like the PGN news shows. And very quickly, he is the face of this decision uh, by this news network to make this presidential race call. Yeah. So on that note, you know, let's let's do a, a brief detour, which is mm-hmm. um, one of many real life elements that were combined in this episode is uh what happened at fox news during the 2020 election uh there's an article of the new york times called inside the panic at fox news after the 2020 election that does a pretty good job of outlining this but uh, i think the biggest deal in at fox was calling arizona for biden if i recall Mm -hmm. all right like fox news calling arizona for biden they did it earlier than anyone else and obviously it was a decision that their uh viewer base was not happy with and uh, it apparently caused a lot of chaos within the organization. This this single call caused a lot of chaos. And so I think it's like a direct reference to that. Uh, the Wisconsin thing in this episode is like a direct reference mm-hmm. uh, to that. But, it, it, you know, it, it, they made it so that um, the stakes were even higher in the show than in real life. Because in in real life, you know, the other networks eventually called Arizona for Biden as well. And it's not a big deal, right? But, like, because of the uncertainty in the actual situation in succession the the call actually has more power than it did in real life in 2020. Right. And uh and anyway, I thought it was like a pretty smart way to make this fictional scenario even more upsetting uh than its real life analog, you know? So Right. And and because they it's almost like they inverted <clears throat> it's almost like they inverted parts of the 2016 election and the 2020 election because that Fox call that story is the 2020 election, right? Of them yeah. calling Arizona for Biden. Um, but like the result feels yes. like the 2020 the election. Or the sorry, 2016, like the 2016 yeah. election yeah. where yeah. the polls indicated it was Jimenez, even the early closing polls indicated it's Jimenez. Right. And this feels like 
And I also thought it was interesting that even Mencken at the start of the episode says he doesn't seem to want Roman to even push him to win. Right? He seems totally comfortable with the He's idea very, yeah. the, of so having the, this be a long-term game. Absolutely. And and when he said that at the beginning of the episode, I was stunned because I was going in having listened to all of our listeners' uh, theories yeah. about how, oh, Mencken's going to dispute the results of the election. And at the beginning, Mencken's like, I'm not going to dispute the results of the election. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so right. maybe Mencken's going to lose gracefully. That would be shocking, kind of. Um, but what ends up happening is Roman seizes the moment. Yes. And yeah. Roman snaps in to, or maybe he's just been in full nihilism mode. Uh, I think that you can trace mm-hmm. that back to his blow up at Matson, right? Like, and he even says at some point to Kendall, well, now I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Do yeah, you yeah. want to talk more about real world analog stuff? Because no, there no, is. I think, I, I, yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, the, I just, uh, you've, you've pointed out well, like, there's many different things that, like, this episode alludes to the, the 2020 Arizona call, the 2016 election with the polls not matching the results, like, and, um, and a bunch of other things that uh, are, are real life analogs that were mm-hmm. in the show. And, and the show, I think, spun them together in a really lovely way. So yeah, I'm really felt, big fan of it. It felt very believable. And like I was watching the back end of a U.S. election that I've lived through unfortunately Absolutely. And, and i loved the 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 fake atn anchors i thought they did a great mm-hmm. job i was like oh this the way they're talking the the syntax the cadence sounds very similar to what an election night would be mm-hmm. but yeah let's talk about some of the stuff that happened let's, you know let's talk about a couple of the, the kind of tangents that happened in the episode uh we see kendall turn his back on his family uh by choosing to push Mencken further into power because earlier on rava called him on his participation in his racist news organization explained how scared his children were um, but in the end, he followed Roman. Um, there's also Connor who decides to concede the night of the election. You know, I already talked a little bit last week about how I don't feel like this plot line is the most realistic from a timing perspective. Um, I also love that they <laughs> they never identified who Connor's running mate was throughout the course of the season. So in the in his closing speech, Connor gives like an almost SNL style like, "Hey, yeah." <laughs> To my running mate who quit, she sucks. And then to the one who took over, they're also bad. And it's just like, oh, that's hilarious. That's a pretty hilarious way of like dealing acknowledging, with that. Yeah, acknowledging the fact that they never chose a running mate for Connor because that would have been a whole other who would right. even run with Connor. Like that would it raises all these questions. And so they just were like, oh, we're not going to deal with that in the show. Yeah. Um, amazing. Yeah. I really liked uh, Alan Ruck's delivery of Alas, Kentucky, Willa. Alas, vanity. And I was like, oh, I like this for Connor. And then, of course, like so many others in this episode, he turns kind of on a dime once he sees how it could really be advantageous to him. And like, he's another example of someone who like had the platform where he could have been, he could have theoretically been ahead on TV that night saying, hey, this doesn't feel quite right, America. Like, let's slow down, figure out what happened in Wisconsin first. But like, no, he, like everyone else and like Willa, throw their weight behind Mencken because it's financially beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He might get one of the Slovenias. Uh, so that's that he's got that going for him. Also, I think it was notable. The, his closing speech, Willa like looked a little worried when at like the final words of Connor's speech, where he says like, in America, be afraid, be warned for the con heads are coming. And that also felt like there have been real, real, world analogs of like 
political leaders seemingly sending sublim like coded messaging to their mm -hmm. followers. We saw this discussed a lot with Trump in the insurrection hearings and stuff. Yeah. And so like the idea that Connor might have accidentally incited violence by just like addressing his followers and saying that they should make America afraid like that night, like people will translate that into literal violence depending on their lack of morals or desire to cause harm to others. Yeah. Oof. All right. Well, that's uh, that's most of the little tangents. I mean, the main thing that happens this episode, right, is the big conflict between Kendall, Shiv, and Roman, right? Mm -hmm. um, specifically, Roman's on the side of Jared. Uh, they're you know they're talking before the election. They're extremely direct with each other. Yeah. Shiv is clearly on the side of Jimenez uh and trying to make it trying to swing things in his direction. Mm -hmm. Um Kendall is also open to swinging things in Jimenez's direction, but Jimenez is not willing to give him the goods. Like he's not willing to make any promises because Jimenez is too good of a person it seems. He's yeah. not into uh trading things like horse trading of that kind. So at least um, not with Kendall Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and this ends up leading to kind of a, a big blowout at the end, right? Like, uh, there's many kind of moments that lead up to it of um, Shiv. It, it's becoming clearer and clearer throughout the course of the night that, like, Wisconsin and this firebombing that happens there, uh, and theoretically a lot of Democratic votes that have been lost in the firebombing is going to be decisive in the election. Mm. And so Shiv is trying to press prudence and hey we got to be careful and the future of the republic is at stake and roman i think uh, nihilism is the word you used i think he's pressing nihilism he's like hey it doesn't it doesn't matter what the future of the republic is as long as we get what's coming to us i think this episode is a tour de force performance mm -hmm. for kieran culkin i, I mm -hmm. mean this is the culmination of this character Everything he did was completely believable to me, and he's just steamrolling everyone. And it, it convinced me he is truly his father's successor, I think, mm. um, in this episode. I thought he did just such a – the performance was so great. And just you see you see, he is not only stronger willed than Shiv and Kendall, he is also more skilled than they are. And it's just like – it's a, it's kind of just amazing to see him completely like steamroll and basically annihilate them. Uh, yeah yeah so what did, what did you think of the dynamic between the siblings this episode yeah i i completely agree with you in that i thought a lot in this episode about that quote shiv said to logan in their last conversation in the karaoke bar where she says like you just say things and then people agree with you or you mm -hmm. you bully them and it becomes true and then you say see see i was right and like how infuriating that is to her and you can totally see roman very effectively doing the same thing where like he he mocks any line of questioning of fact or reason thrown in his direction and just like steamrolls into what he wants everyone to say and believe, which in this case is that it doesn't actually matter that they do have the right and the power to declare the next president of the United States and that they should use that power because they want to be someone who's in the pocket of the leader of America. And it's, it's, it is a little, it's not a little, it is chilling to see him flicker between that sort of like nihilism and like sociopathy to then like, I saw it a lot in his facial expression when Kendall says, like, one of those guys pushed Sophie. 
and you see Roman's face for a second be like, mm-hmm. is she okay? And it's like, well, he's, he says more like, but she's okay. Right. Like it's, it doesn't matter. Right. You know? But like yeah. I could, well, I saw that as like, if Kendall had said anything, but yes, maybe Roman might've wavered a little bit more in that moment. But like all Roman wanted was for Kendall to reassure him like, well, it's, but that's not actually a big deal. And then Kendall does. And then it just enables Roman further to be like, yeah, see, it doesn't matter. Like, fuck your family. Fuck the children. Yeah. All Let's that matters, just do this. All that matters is that we get ours, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it is, he's just so badgering of every single person in the show. Like, no, whether it's him, like being on the floor of the, of the place or yeah. him talking to Shiv or him talking to Ken, he's just badgering everyone, talking to Tom and he's just going to get his way no matter what. And if he doesn't, he's going to exhaust you until he does, you know? And yeah. it's just, it's just a really, really effective performance. One question I had for you, Kim, is what do you think about, uh, Kendall in this episode because it, it's very much a three-way tug of war. Shiv is going in one direction, Roman's going the other, and Kendall's kind of in the middle. Um, and I still don't know how I feel about it because Kendall was so like you know hot to trot last episode and eager and ready to go and and fight. And I guess we're supposed to think that uh his family being harassed you know he he does send a car to like follow his family and and so on and so he do, he is worried about them but i guess we're supposed to think that his family being harassed like has given him pause about his current path um and and he wants to have it both ways he wants to um have uh, a pluralistic future with Jimenez but also have Menken kill the deal and so he's stuck between those two outcomes um, right but, like yeah, he's but, uh, yeah go ahead like he's overly focused on just keeping the company from Matson at in in whatever fashion he needs to and he almost seems to be thinking of this election as like well I don't really care too much so really yeah. the deciding factor is who's going to do what I want which is let me keep daddy's business yeah and it's like if Jimenez had said sure we'll we'll look into it you know we'll, he probably we'll really, would have been more okay he probably would have been like yeah that's fine yes let's kill let's kill the Mencken thing which is just yeah I uh, felt really sad for him again Jeremy Strong just I think does an incredible job of he brings this physicality to Kendall's state of mind yeah at any yeah, point he, he's very hunched over this episode very like weak looking this episode yeah well sometimes but then mm-hmm. like when he when he figures out shiv lied to him yeah you see him snap into like shoulders back i'm my dad like do the logan roy intimidation thing whereas like my heart was really breaking for him when he was in sort of like what i almost call like puppy dog mode mm-hmm. where he gets very like <clears throat> His face is so much more open and sad, and he's yeah. His head, his head is like down. It's like almost into his neck, you know, a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's like leaning. He's like hunched forward. Yeah, yeah, and, and he kind of goes. I forget what prompts him to be talking to Shiv exactly in that moment, but it's it's when she tells him like you're a good person. Like that's why you want to back you in it. Like that's why you want to stop Mankin because you're a good guy. Yeah, and you see that land for him so painfully and that like you can tell that he doesn't he has so badly wanted to be a good guy and like Mm -hmm. wanted to be liked and admired by people for this entire series and he you can tell that he really struggles with actually believing that about himself like yeah logan really did a number on him plus his own 
actions, but it's also very common for people who are struggling with like addiction and also depression. Like we know that Kendall's been the most overtly uh, suicidal character on the show. I would say there was that whole arc in the season two, it was season two, right? When he was Mm -hmm. going up, he was going up to the roof often. And by the end of the episode, you see that they've installed like more glass basically, because you assume that his father's watching him or having people watch him to make sure that he doesn't hurt himself. And so that like having that deep belief that you might actually be a bad person and there's nothing you can do to redeem that about yourself like so you might as well just keep doing bad things like that's what i felt kendall went through in this episode mm. where he had a moment where he could have chosen to stick with shiv could have chosen to truly try to protect his family in a way that's much more tangible than just sending a car to follow them around right like yeah at least both emotionally but also in a very real global impacting kind of way and so it was. It felt sad to me that this episode felt more like a final blow to Kendall's ability to rise above mm. what he believes about himself. Yeah, yeah. Well put. Well put. Well, there is a big blowout when Kendall discovers Shiv's treachery. Right. He first discovers that Shiv lies to, to Kendall about making a call to Jimenez and securing concessions about the Matson merger. Then he talks to Greg. Uh, and Greg theoretically tells him that Shiv is in bed metaphorically with Matson, And so he is feels completely betrayed. Uh, that it was a fun interaction earlier when Shiv tries to scare Greg. And of course, it's completely ineffectual. Uh, and yet again, it's like Shiv just failing at virtually every single thing she's attempting to do. Uh, huge bummer to, to see. Yeah. But it leads to this climactic confrontation, which in my opinion, is like the defining confrontation of this season, if not the show as a whole. I usually don't play these long clips during the episode, but we're going to play it right here. Here we go. This is uh, Kendall walking in, talking with Roman and Shiv right after he's discovered that Shiv has betrayed them. Really? What? I think you're a good guy. Uh, well, I found it hard to get Nate, so I summarized some impressions. Oh, right, right, right. Smart. Really good, Shiv. But you lied. Oh. Right? She didn't get anything from Nate. Really? She didn't speak to Nate. And she's in with Madsen. Sorry, what? No, I... No. No, I, 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 I did what we all agreed to, that I got close to him, so that I could Shiv's help. Shiv's fucking uh, us, right? The... right? Wow. Shivy? No. No, 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 no. I, 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 I fucking asked you some real questions, Shiv. I wondered why you looked like a goose trying to shit a house brick, you piece of dirt. Okay, well, you got yourself a little fucking side deal here? No, no, I have some options. I, I was, I was going through with the plan, and then you two. Mankin. Mankin, right? Mankin. No, what? Tom! No, you even wanted to push us out of the fucking nest. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. Ken, aside from all this, this is not the right thing. Aside from the fact that you lied to us and that doing what you want precisely plays into your own interests, yeah? This doesn't? Yeah? Ken, please, come on. Come on! Who are we? Oh, well, will no one think of the children? You know what? No, I'm not going to let this happen. 
There comes a time where you oh, have to stand there comes a time. up for what you. Seriously, this is real. Okay, mm-hmm. I have a concern for the state of the republic and, and pluralism wow. yeah. and uh, and the I'm future snoring. of this country. So and it, it, it is Such real. Such a bullshit, Jesus. Fuck you, Ken. He's right. Yeah, Brutal. since all the dynamics between the characters, right in that that scene, right there, and um, I gotta give a shout out for Sarah Snook. I mean, they're all great, but I gotta give a shout out for Sarah Snook in that scene because she is playing somebody who is flummoxed, who is trying to seem as though they're not flummoxed. That is mm-hmm. a very hard bullseye to hit, mm. and I think she does a great job of like she's being called out and alive, but she's trying to keep it together, but she can't because she's not that good at this. Uh, and completely falls apart. Um, but yeah, uh, go ahead, Kim. It just it reminded me of our conversation preseason about Shiv's lack of actual ability to make change or to make a difference within her company is like a feature, not a bug, of her arc. In that, like her her in her being. A woman who is able to be in the room at that moment when that conversation is happening, right? Of like, basically, this major news network is about to call the election for a candidate, give him a lot of credibility that he might not otherwise have um, in this exact moment. And she says, like, I will not. Like, there comes a time when she tries to start saying, like, there comes a time when you have to do the right thing. And it's like, yeah, you're not wrong that this is the time. But she couldn't actually bring herself to do the right thing or to like interrupt this or figure out how to effectively do it because she's been all wrapped up in her brother's machinations and her own self-interests with Matson the whole time. And so it's mm-hmm. like, I, I believe that she believes what she's saying about her values, but all of her actions and the way that she has continued to enable Waystar Royco to get to the point that they are right now with ATN and this person mm. in the country that is still on her. And I think that we're watching her like panic when she realizes when when the reality of what her family has been doing and the legacy that she has been trying to still preserve is actually doing to the country. It is the fallout of all of her good intentions, you know, her Um, good intentions that were at the end of the day, a little hollow because she, she prioritizes. Wait, I was just what? quoting Mission Impossible 6. So, oh, sorry. Yeah. I haven't seen... <laughs> you Mission... haven't seen the Mission Impossible movies, Kim. Do you, do we want to do a podcast about Tom Cruise and I would, <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. But I agree with you. Uh, yeah, you're right. She has helped to get them to this point, And then, like, she's helped to unleash this monster... Uh, and and she is also complicit. And but she's I trying. Say- I think that I think that she and many other characters in this episode are trying to absolve themselves of the guilt of their participation in this. Mm-hmm. Everyone tries to foist the real responsibility for why this is happening on another person, while still trying to maintain power. And like, I I don't know what else Shiv could have done, but like, honestly, you're standing right next to live news cameras. Like, if she really wanted to, she could like storm the stage and like make a fuss or do what she said and tweet out recordings of the conversations happening right now in the ATN newsroom and really like stop this thing in its tracks. But she doesn't want to do that. Cause one of, yeah, that's actually one of my, one of the most telling interactions was like when she's like, well, I'll go to the press. I'll tell people about it. And then Kendall like gives her like this sarcastic thumbs up. And I think everyone knows that she is not being serious at all. Like Ken, uh, Roman says, well, if you're just going to be hysterical, you should actually leave because we're, you know, 
we're actually doing adult work or whatever. Because I think they know she's not going to do that. She doesn't have the will. Why would she jeopardize her own status to do that? Right. Um, right. And because she has their whole family regularly goes to the press with lies anyways and floats those. So like, mm-hmm. why would anyone think that this time it's actually true? Again, circling back to like, if you've only been dealing in deceptions and yeah. like backstabbing. I will say I do. While we're in the thick of sibling pain, there was a very nice sibling moment in this episode that I loved, which was when Shiv, after the Tom conversation where Shiv goes to Roman and Kendall and like says without saying what's going on, like Tim is now on our shit list, like you have to hate him forever. And for a brief period of time, the brothers seem down to like be really mean to Tom or dismiss Tom for the sake of Shiv. And when Tom is the one who calls Shiv... He says, like, you're feeling a little, un- you're sounding a little unhinged, honey. Yeah. And Kendall, ha- Kendall, like, snaps. Yes. He, he's, like, so angry at Tom, at, says, Tom f- at that moment. Yeah. He's like, you fucking watch it, Tom. And it reminded me exactly of the moment in season two when right. uh, Logan hit Roman. And yeah. uh, Kendall jumps in and says, like, no, you do not touch him. And that yeah. sort of, like, protectiveness coming out of Logan towards his siblings, I think, Kendall. has always Kendall. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kendall. Yeah, it's Kendall. Also, I did actually talk to Sarah Snook about that scene in season two, back when I was, she happened to be on the Emmys red carpet when I was there for the first and only time. Um, and she told me that that, in, the, in season two, that reaction to Logan hitting Roman was kind of an improv from Jeremy Strong in a take that like, he just seemed to think that Kendall would be naturally protective in that moment. And part of me would like to think that now they like intentionally brought that in for at least one Mm -hmm. Shiv moment of like, there is still this part of Kendall that feels deeply protective of his siblings and when called upon can sometimes like fully have their backs. Yeah. And then another shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, another uh, sibling moment was when Kendall says, I don't think I'm a good dad. And Shiv Shiv can't bring herself to lie to him about it. So she's like, um, well, you know, you tried. You <laughs> that was is, awful. By the, by the way, this is like uh, conversations that I have with Kim about podcasting. I'll say to Kim, I don't think I'm a good podcaster. And Kim <laughs> will say, well, you know, David, you tried. You know, you're, at least you tried. You're doing amazing. Yeah, d- at least at least you tried. You know, that, and uh, that's all you can ask for, really. Yeah. Um, that was so. another that was another moment where I was like, Shiv, you could have said something different there <laughs> and maybe salvage this, right? Like she's Shiv is just not good at the Game of Thrones, Kim. I think that's kind of Yeah, I where, mean with, where with, I land on it. With Kendall, it's like the game of feelings. Like Shiv can't yeah. Yeah. she could say you're a good guy a couple of times, but then like I don't think that she recognized how badly he actually needed to hear that. And if she had just taken the time to be like Kendall, no, like you are a great dad. You're doing your best. Hey, a thing you can do just tonight to be the best dad ever <laughs> would be to not let Mencken win the election. Well, like, also, also, she's bad at lying. She could have just lied so and said she could have yeah. said like uh, she could have said, "Hey, yeah, Jimenez says he's going to kill the deal." You know, like right? And, she and, wasn't and a convincing straight, liar, and just straight up said. And then, and, and instead, she kind of waffled her way through it, and that's what he says. And Kendall has this. He says like. Well, I think we just need like a little bit more than that. You know, he's like very earnest. He's like, we just need a little bit more than that. And then I'm willing to, you know, 
it's yeah. it's painful so also another fun sibling moment was when she tried to when he was like i'm just gonna call and she went no like a little too fast <laughs> yeah. and a little yeah. too loud yeah. and the like and, head and, whip and he's from, like, like why and she's like oh because they're bu- they're busy obviously it's 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 the, rough it's the rough. way that like kendall and roman both immediately re- like responded <laughs> to that tone is like yeah. well, that was bullshit like it big big sibling vibes i love yeah. that so anyway, uh, her treachery is made clear. Uh, Kendall decides to back Roman and Mencken is declared the winner of the election. Uh, it's a chilling idea. I also think, and by the way, Shiv then says to Madsen, hey, we're doubling down on our partnership. We're going to try to get them back. It's like, dude, No. <sighs> Roman is the real winner here and he is mm-hmm. he is clearly the winner of the Game of Thrones and uh it's actually I would be impressed if I wasn't so scared of him. Mm-hmm. The uh <laughs> the the thing I wanted to point out is I think this episode is succession at its most didactic, which is very odd. Like it's not it's generally not that didactic, but there's a scene where Roman's like, "Yeah, nothing really matters." And then Shiv says, "Things matter, Roman." And it's like it feels like the show is being really earnest at that point, and hmm. it's uh, it's weird. It's it's like unbecoming of the show almost. But it's almost like Jesse Armstrong was like, "I I really need you to understand what my point is here. You know, you can't miss my point here." Um, but yeah, did you did you have any thoughts on on the didacticism didacticism of the episode, Kim, or am I am I reading too much into it? No, I think that there was there was something there in the way that. I definitely felt like I was supposed to be taking something away from this episode. Yeah. I haven't already from real American elections. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that it did. I think maybe I still haven't quite landed all the way on that other than it was, it just felt like I was watching a failure of people to be brave enough to stand up to their own circle at a time when they should have. Yeah. And it was like a very, it, I, I was like, oh, okay. If the last four seasons, it's like the, it's like the buildup to this episode was me deeply understanding and like rooting for different people's emotional needs, depending on how the episode went. And then all of them coming into conflict in this like perfect storm of every single person on that chain failing to yeah. rise above. <laughs> And it's it's brutal, but I, I yeah I don't know. I, I I think that's a great point about you know the banality of evil and people just following orders. I think that's definitely part of the point. Um, but the following is a true fact, uh, as far as I understand it. You know, I may be wrong, but my understanding is in the wake of the twenty twenty election, it came down to pretty much single digit number of people willing to do the right thing to ensure that the election went in the way that truly represented the will of people. Right. Like there was like, and like, and the court and I almost just said coronation. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Start over. (laughs) But I'm I'm talking about like, you know, the, the Georgia secretary of state and, you know, like all these, all these, all these like low level um, civil servants who, who were under enormous pressure. 
to say like find more votes or yes. you know do x or do y to you know circumvent the will of the people and they chose not to and when i was watching this episode it's like it's down to like the republic hangs in the balance of a single digit number of people being willing to do the right thing sometimes mm-hmm. and we experience that in real life and we experience that in this scenario this fairly plausible scenario that occurred in this week's episode of succession as well so yeah and I think maybe the final thing we haven't touched on that felt very realistic and also like almost beyond satire was the little Chirons and the little like news announcer details that we were getting mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. particularly through the Trump era of our politics, like it really felt like news organizations didn't know how to present quote unquote balanced coverage of things that were happening. And I I specifically wrote down the way that ATN was describing the Wisconsin, like whatever was happening there with the fire at first, where they said, like, at first thought to be an electrical fire, but now there are claims and some counterclaims being made by groups mm. who were protesting alleged voting irregularities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That sentence means nothing. Like that is <laughs> I don't have any more information about who those people are or why they were there other than that they're people who were doing a thing. But like right. the stripping down of like, oh, everyone on both like Antifa is exactly the same as right, ultra right Nazi terrorists. Like, you have one you have one side that is like uh, Steve Bannon's quote. I think about it all the time. Flood the zone with shit. It's just like put as much BS out there that people can't tell what's truth and what's not. Mm-hmm. That's one side. One, mm-hmm. one side's tactics and the quote unquote other side's tactics, like the conventional journalistic organizations are, hey, if there's one group of people that says one thing and another group of people that says another thing, then the answer must be the true answer must be somewhere in between those things. Like that's mm. that is the the view from nowhere approach to news that many organizations have taken. Yeah. Um, and they are completely failing to rise to the moment. Mm. Uh, we just saw it this week with CNN and their reprehensible town hall with with donald trump and uh it is sad to see and again another indication that real life is far more upsetting than what you actually even see in the show in -hmm. some ways so and look at look at that you know kim i'm I'm complaining about the show being didactic and now i'm being didactic (laughs) i'm trying to be meta here i'm trying to be meta any other thoughts on season four episode eight kim or shall we wrap it up there let's let's wrap it up and uh hope nothing too terrible happens for the rest of the season, but my voice is getting higher because I don't believe that. I don't know. I'm so curious to see what the next two episodes come to. People were saying, Oh, you know, this episode with Matt and I think it was episode five or whatever, when they go to Sweden or Norway or whatever, you know, um, I think it was Sweden, right? Where, uh, I think it was actually Norway, but this, they live in Sweden, but the okay, retreat yeah, yeah. was in Norway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and where Roman confronts Matt, and they're like, this is Kieran Culkin's Emmy reel, you know? And it's like, for me, what Kieran Culkin did in this episode was far more impressive. Yeah. It's not as showy, but it is uh, really intense and just a culmination of everything that this character has been building towards. You compare this character to uh, season one, episode one, it is like a complete transformation uh, where he goes he's still like nihilistic i think in both uh episodes that i just referred to but he has honed his skills to such an extent 
that he can run this whole place yeah. and steamroll over anyone who doesn't have the will or the skills to match him. And uh, it's a truly chilling performance. I loved it. It makes the episode for me. So Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at decodingtv. Um, and become a paid member. Support this podcast at decodingtv.com. Kim, favorite quotes from the episode? Uh, I got to go with Wom's Gams this week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a long way back from Pond Life because you failed to get me a double shot, Greg. Mm-hmm. Where he lays out how the civilization may collapse if uh greg doesn't get him a get him a coffee specifically that if he this is the the start of the episode and he's implying that if greg doesn't keep him sufficiently caffeinated he might call something wrong and the Mm. wrong candidate will win and nuclear war will happen and then we'll have to like rebuild humanity from the amoeba stage and then he says it's a long way back from pond life because you failed to get me a double shot Tom was on fire this episode. My favorite quote was when he's taking cocaine. He's trying to convince Greg to do it. And Greg is really saying, I don't want to. I don't want to get addicted. I can't do it twice in a row, you know. And Tom says, it's medically good for your brain. Are you calling all Aztecs stupid? What, are you racist? (laughs) It's just like amazing. Incredible. Incredible. Great stuff. All right. right, That's going to bring us into this week's episode of Decoding TV. Uh, coming up, we are wrapping up our coverage of Mrs. Davis this week on the podcast. And next week, of course, it's another recap of Succession Season 4, Episode 9 is what we'll be talking about. Until then, be well, be safe. Goodbye. Goodbye.